Hello, I'm Jo Herb. Thank you for downloading this episode of the Teaching Method series, brought to you by Teacher Magazine. Today I'm talking to Claire Warden about nature pedagogy, what it is and how it works in practice, including lesson planning and, of course, risk management. Warden is the founder of two nature kindergartens in Scotland and has just launched the International Association of Nature Pedagogy. I caught up with her after a PD workshop for teachers in Australia. Claire Warden, welcome to Teacher. Thanks very much, good to be here. Now, we spoke to you earlier this year about nature pedagogy. For for those who haven't come across it before, though, what do we mean by that and what age groups is it being used with? Nature pedagogy, for me, is the river um, that runs underneath many models of education. So you're hearing things like bush kindy, you're hearing things like nature groups. Um, All of those are just different models of this way of teaching and learning with nature called nature pedagogy. Mm-hmm. And now uh, there's some exciting news as well. You've just uh, launched, is it the International? It is. It's called the it's the International Association of Nature Pedagogy. Um, over the many years now, we've been working around the world trying to support teachers and educators in terms of embracing this as a way of working with children. Um, and as we've done that, you realise there's so much embedded knowledge around the world that actually um, we need to share that. So the association um, I founded um, and it's been just been launched has Richard Louvre, uh, David Sobel, who uh, writes a lot about place based learning it's also got people who are involved with forest school nature kindy home-based care so it's not saying it's um, just one type of education but it is about going beneath the surface Um, and there are two key aims of that organization one is that we need to start getting nature pedagogy into undergraduate and postgraduate qualifications in education Mm -hmm. and also in um, any qualifications really so it's a non-negotiable when when students come out to teach or to work in education that they've got an existing knowledge about how to do that. And the second is to really help and promote the the development of nature-based programming, which is um, anybody from home-based carers right the way through to forest schools, uh, bush schools. But it's where, for me, there's a criticality of inside spaces, so inside your classroom or setting, linking to your outside school grounds, but then also linking to spaces beyond where it's wilderness and it's nature on its terms, not canned and processed, Mm -hmm. which I sometimes see a lot of inside classrooms. Mm. Now, you mentioned there are a couple of examples. Uh, It's it's happening in different local contexts. Bushkindy's there, um, Skogsmuller, which are in Sweden, Nature Barnhard is in Norway, and, of course, at at your own Nature Kindergarten that you founded in Scotland. Um, But like you say, it's not just dipping a toe in, is it? It can be 80 90 100% outdoors. Uh, Now it's a lovely sunny day today here in Australia. (laughs) What about interruption from the elements? (laughs) Um, I think, um, you know, one of those things is is that we live in the climatic region of the world that we're in. So you need to learn to live with that weather system. Mm -hmm. And so therefore for us in Scotland, yes, we can put on, you know, extra clothing. We can get out there. Um, But when you're working in climates like Australia, um, we need to work with that. And so I find it astonishing that that people are saying, you know, they, they've got a very restricted time for outdoor learning, say. Mm-hmm. Um, and rather than saying, actually, we should really be starting our day outside, um, they then push it into a timetabled zone. So we have to then change that around and say, OK, for us to really embrace the natural world, let's start our day outside. Then we'll come in when it's really hot and maybe we go out again later on. Mm-hmm. So the key thing, I think, about all those different models is that they, um, they value nature. 
that it's not something that you just go in and, and take, um, but it's something that you go in and use in a synergistic way. So it's done in sustainability, it's done through environmental protection, it's done through outdoor pursuits, but it, more importantly for me, it's actually a way of working with curriculum and pedagogy. And so all of those different models work in different cultural places, and that's as it should be. So Australia, um, for me, has had a massive connection to land, um, obviously, and there are people around the world who've been living in connection to the land. And, and so some of those knowings and that knowledge has been um, has put to one side, and I'm about you know finding that knowledge and embracing it. Um, yeah. Now, the other thing, I'm sure most educators actually will listen to this, the first thing that will have come into their heads, having been a teacher myself at, at primary level, yep. is health and safety. Now, how do they go about risk assessment? How does that actually work? There's a benefit risk assessment, and I think sometimes when people do risk management, what they do is they focus on the hazards, which is what we need to do, but they, they become so extreme in that mm-hmm. that they actually re- or try to remove all hazard. Um, if you remove all hazard, then actually what happens is you get... I think a, a different type of risk is that you get an emotional risk, that there is no challenge, there's no um, aspiration within your curriculum. And the second type of risk, I would say, that we don't really consider um, is intellectual risk. So I go into classrooms that are monumentally dull. There's no real-world learning, they're not dynamic, they're not engaging. And so actually, intellectually, that has a massive risk. So for me, the physical, the intellectual and the emotional have to come together. And to do that, then we have to write benefit risk assessments, which is after Tim Gill's work, um, where we're writing down the benefits for learning. And yes, we're going out and removing hazards. We're having conversations with the stakeholder, and the stakeholder is the child, so that they're very aware of how to keep themselves safe, um, but not in a way that makes everything as safe as as possible, because that would be so dry, but you're doing it so that the the environments are as safe as necessary. Um, So yeah, I think it's about raising our expectations of children seeing them as confident and capable um, and actually the fact that the childhood is about pushing boundaries it's about testing yourself it's about uh, challenging yourself and, and there's no better place to do that than in the natural world and this is with very young children as well isn't it we're not talking about uh, you know a secondary school oh no not at primary. all no so so for us at the Ochlone Nature Kindergarten in Scotland we've got children who come in at two um, and for that two-year-old, you know, pushing their own personal boundary will be walking for um, up to a couple of kilometres if they want to. Um, but it's jumping off a rock that might only be six sort of inches high, but it's but it, they are choosing to engage in that challenge. So it starts at very young age, actually. It starts at birth, I would argue, in terms of the way that we see childhood and then runs right the way through. So um, some of the models that we're looking at now is, is working um, with primary schools and saying, all right, how do you bring that curriculum alive? How do you make sure children have got a thirst for knowledge? Mm. Um, and how do you then, as a teacher, as an educator, help upskill yourself so that you can then embrace that um, and not transfer some of your apprehension to children? Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is planning. Uh, that goes hand in hand, obviously, with the risk, risk assessment and risk mm-hmm. management side of things. How do you go about building that into your planning? It's got to be a regular occurrence. Yes, it, it has. Yeah, I, I think um, in some models, they're, they're doing the half-day release. And if you can start at um, going beyond the school fence um, into a wilder space and it's only a half-day, then that's great. But for me, we need to make sure that what's happening in those spaces is then valued and embedded in what you're doing inside your school grounds, but also then inside your classroom. So for me, um, I use floor books, but I'm talking tubs, and they are, if you like, a co-constructivist model of education, which means that we're, we're starting with that embedded knowledge of children, 
um, building that up um, and looking more at the capacities, you know, the habits of mind. Um, because to be honest, knowledge as a, as a concept is changing in education because Google has arrived. Um, and so knowledge is very, very accessible to people now. Um, and so therefore we need to look at what those aptitudes are, those capacities are that we can develop in our children. Um, and we plan for those. Um, so yes, I'm still doing projects, you know, and it's in the UK, you know, doing stuff on the Romans. Um, but how you do work on the Romans is to understand leather, is to understand grain production, is to understand what clay does to make the tiles rather than colouring in a two-dimensional worksheet, which has no value really. Um, and I doubt very much if the content is retained. Mm, that's interesting now uh, finally then uh, another key part of that you've got your, your risk management your planning you're delivering that but then the reflection afterwards uh, mm -hmm. incredibly important with this isn't it i think um with any kind of learning model you've got to look at that um whether or not you're on a roller coaster of delivery or whether within that process you're encouraging that deep level reflection, mm -hmm. um, the reflexivity, which is thinking about oneself and, and how one learns, um, but also then allowing children to use metacognitive processes, which is the revisiting of themselves as a learner so that they understand who they are as individuals. Um, I think that's part of good teaching and learning, actually. Um, and I think in the outdoor environment and specifically in nature-based environments, um, there's um, a huge sense of um, being part of a system that's bigger than oneself that naturally leads you to this kind of reflexive practice. And for lots of children, um, I would say it's a human right to be in nature. Mm -hmm. Well, it's been great speaking to you today. Good luck with the association. Uh, we look forward to seeing you much. again in Australia <laughs> in the future. But uh, for now, Claire Warden, thanks for sharing your expertise with teachers. Thank you very much for having me. That's all for this episode of Teaching Methods. For more on this topic, check out the podcast transcript and related links at our website. That's www.teachermagazine.com.au. To download all of our podcasts for free, visit acer.ac forward slash teacher iTunes or www.soundcloud.com forward slash teacher hyphen acer.